Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. We've got a loaded show for you today. We'll get into what is on today's program in a moment. But first, I don't know if you saw the news We already hit an all-time high for the most expensive car loan market since 2007. The latest data shows it's now gone even higher. Used cars are the most expensive they've ever been. And we are days away from the Durban Accords. Uh, This is where countries like Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, they're expected to announce the launch of a new international super currency with the intent of replacing the U.S. dollar as the default currency in the world got a note from a guy yesterday who listened to yesterday's overtime that said i i think the economic stuff that you guys were talking about in that overtime is the new covid then that's what's coming so make sure you go watch that yesterday at blazetv.com slash days but that's also a great reason why you want to get a free info kit on gold iras decide for yourself if a tax sheltered retirement account backed by a physical precious metal that has stood the test of time against turbulent times and government debasement schemes like the times we're living in now uh, just text the word steve my name to 989-898 for that free info kit on gold arm yourself with the information to protect your retirement text steve to the number 989-898 again get the free info kit from birch gold at Text Steve at 989-898. All right, I mentioned today's show is pretty jam-packed. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to a woman who co-authored a book that literally changed my life many years ago. And she's got a brand new one out dealing with a topic that we have talked about a lot on this show, and we will talk to her. I'm going to lay out for you a sordid tale for Pop Culture Tuesday on what is going on in college football and why this is much bigger than just college football. It is a testament to what is happening culturally and institutionally in America. And after I lay this out next hour, you guys are going to get to decide, gentlemen, if I'm fake news or not. So see what I did there? I combined those two things. And then there is a new documentary out called Trump's Rosebud. It is really good. Uh, Yours truly is one of the people interviewed in this film. It it takes the most honest and balanced look, which I, I know... Did you guys see that one of the Russian collusion investigators was charged today with Russian collusion? Oh, no. Who could have seen that? I mean, it's just this stuff's biblical, man. I've just never seen an individual in modern, maybe in American history, that more people have been willing to lie for or against. I, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And so who knows if there's even a market for a balanced look at the Trump era? What do I mean by balanced? Well, a group of us were interviewed for this documentary, all of us from the right and varying degrees of, 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 of views on Trump. You have ultimate Trump zealot Seb Gorka interviewed. Uh, you have Trump official 
uh, cabinet official turned Trump skeptic, like Bill Barr is in there. Yours truly, who I don't care if the, ga- the guy's name is Donald Trump, uh, IP Freely, Mr. Trump, Birch Gold, Totters, and I, I just don't care. I just, just, you know, just do what I want and we're good. Don't and we're not. That's kind of me. I'm just totally transactional. Just do what I want and we good. If you don't, we're not. That's really all I care about. And so you've got all these various viewpoints looking at the rise of Trump tied to his all-time favorite movie by his own admission, Citizen Kane. We're actually going to do a special screening of this documentary here in town in Des Moines tomorrow. The director uh, and the guy behind this film, Robert Orlando, uh, he's going to join us uh, the final segment of the show to discuss it. And uh, we'll tell you how you can see it as well. It's really, really well done. So we'll get to all that and more. But first, Aaron must tell us what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Lying Liars. During NBC News' interview with Ron DeSantis yesterday, reporter Dasha Burns straight up lied to DeSantis about his characterization of Democrats supporting infanticide. There's no, no right. evidence of Democrats pushing for but, but their abortions view up is, until... Their view is, is that all the way up into that, yet there should not be any legal protections. Uh, there is no in indication of Democrats right, that pushing you're, you're for right. that. Well, yes, that. Much of the DeSantis pitch to voters revolves around being a husband and father. And here's the full exchange that NBC conveniently forgot to mention. That's a, a misrepresentation of, of what's happening. I mean, that 1.3% of abortions happen at 21 weeks or higher. There's no, no right. evidence of Democrats pushing for but, but their abortions view up is, until... Their view is, is that all the way up into that, yet there should not be any legal protections. Uh, there is no in indication of Democrats right, pushing you're, you're for right. that. Well, yes, they are. They've done it in California. They've done it in other states. They have uh, not instituted some, that policy. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they have. Uh, they basically will say that, you know, if there's some type of, like, it, 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 they'll use, like, different ways to really have a, it's, have a it's wide exception for rare. it. It's extremely rare. 1.3%, and in those circumstances, are typically extremely emotional decisions. Well, no, I mean, I, 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 I don't say that that's the norm in terms of this, but I do think that the left in this country has moved on from a position that said, you know what, we do want to discourage abortion, it's not something that's a good thing, to now viewing it more as a positive good for society. And I think most Americans, regardless of how they feel on legal protections, I don't think most Americans think it's a positive good. Gold Star families of the botched Afghanistan withdrawal spoke in California for the first time yesterday. Cheryl Rex, mother of slain Lance Corporal Dylan Morola, had this to say about Joe Biden and what he told her when her son came home. When Joe Biden, our elected president, entered the room, when he approached me, his words to me were, my, w- my wife Jill and I know how you feel. We lost our son as well and brought him home in a flag-draped coffin. My heart started beating faster and I started shaking knowing that their son died from cancer and they were able to be by his side. Also wondering how someone could honestly, sorry, be so heartless to say he knew how I felt a little over 24 hours and learning of my son's death. After this encounter, I have never had any personal correspondence, nor has my son been honored or his name spoken by this commander in chief. Ex-Minneapolis police officer Tao Tao was sentenced to nearly five years in prison yesterday. His crime is that he was in the vicinity of the scene where George Floyd died. Tao spoke to the court yesterday. So scripture tells us that it is not good to go against your conscience. And despite what this court has ruled, I know we cannot hide our thoughts or intent from God, for we must give an account 
on the day we appear before God. Therefore, I must obey. We hold on to the truth that I did not commit these crimes. My conscience is clear. And here's how that prick judge responded. To be perfectly honest, after three years of reflection, I was hoping for a little more remorse, regret, acknowledgement of some responsibility. Unless preaching. Remember when Tucker Carlson was a conspiracy theorist for correctly pointing out the Democrat machine was engaging in the great replacement to make whites a minority in the United States? Yeah, fun times. In completely unrelated news, here's this from The Hill. Gen Z will be the last generation of Americans with a white majority, according to census data. The nation's so-called majority minority arrived with Generation Alpha, those born since about 2010. According to Edmonds, the average monthly payment for a new car in the United States hit $736 last month, a record. It marks a 28% increase over the past three years. And finally, Joe Biden during the Houston Astros visit to the White House. Dusty, it wasn't easy. People counted you out saying you're past your prime. Hell, I know something about that. <laughs> He's here all week. Try the pudding. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> Try the pudding. That was borderline charming. Borderline. And props whoever had the White House Adderall in, in, in uh, injection duty yesterday. Time that one just right to pull off that photo op. So well done. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Eden Pure. Their thunderstorm ear, ear, air purifiers. Easy for me to say. Gets uh, rid of strong odors from cooking. Even cigarette smoke, litter boxes, trash cans, even that mildew smell in the basement that just won't go away. Starts working seconds after you plug it in to clear any room. It doesn't freshen air. It purifies it. And it does it with filterless technology, so you're never going to be replacing filters out of your own time or expense ever again. This thing is so good. It's got thousands of five-star reviews. Dozens of great reviews that we have received within our own audience since they came on board last year. And right now, you can get their whole home protection. That's three units. That's their three-pack for under 200 bucks plus free shipping when you use the discount code Steve at EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code Steve at EdenPureDeals.com. The three-pack for under 200 bucks and free shipping for at EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code Steve. The interview yesterday with, with Ron DeSantis and Dasha Burns at NBC. Had you ever heard that name before? Did you? Yeah, never? I'd actually had a little had, bit of a, a positive, I, I, as far as mainstream media members go, have a, a, a kind of a positive posture towards her till mm -hmm. that moment. She's done some somewhat good reporting, I so guess. That's probably why whoever in the campaign booked that probably picked her then. Maybe. Based on what you just said, because I didn't know anything about her. And I, I would just assume everybody working under these banners is some form of an activist. Safe. Oh, yes. And it's just a matter of how personally charming and empathetic they can be. Even like real, like doesn't mean they're being insincere, mm -hmm. but understand you're unevenly yoked. In any of these conversations, yeah. you are unevenly yoked. It doesn't mean they're a terrible person. It doesn't mean that they are, um, uh, it, it can mean they are a terrible person. Yes. It can mean that they are deceiving you on purpose. But if you let them deceive you, that's kind of a yes. you problem at the Absolutely. same time, wouldn't you say? Yes. So if you can't go in there and understand going in that you're dealing with an activist and at some point, you will say something where that activism will show itself, then 
you haven't been paying attention to what's gone on here in the last five years, right? Yeah. And you saw that. And you could see the way she stammered in that interview, challenging it, because she wasn't well-researched on the topic, but it went against her narrative. And so reflexively, she had to push back on it, but had no real data or, 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 or foundation for why, other than he stepped on her shibboleth. And this is why you do these interviews, because... I thought his answer in reply was okay. I agree. I've heard Ron DeSantis a lot better than that. I thought the rapid have... response was yeah. tremendous, Bam. though. That's right there. Yeah. Because th- what that also triggered, though, this is why you do this. And, and this is why the initial rollout of we're not going to do these kinds of things and everything else didn't work of the campaign. Because even if you, even if you walk into an ambush like this, provided you don't pull your, your own pants down or surrender... Eventually, you will force the rest of our industry and then your own support structure will come to your defense and turn you into a sympathetic figure by going back and pushing back against mm-hmm. them. You, meaning you're picking the right fight. And, and I thought that interview did that yesterday, even though his answer in reply to her, I definitely thought could have been stronger. Um, but but the, what it sparked afterwards, I mean, he got a lot of coverage off of that interview. And here's the number one thing, the number one thing, if you want to run for office, if you want to do what I do for a living on any level, the number one thing that that on our side, our base wants and will respond to, to this very day. And, And that's why Trump is such a formidable opponent, because this is the thing that he's actually the very best at. Following through and stuff on details, not necessarily his thing. All right. But, um... Pimp slapping around, you know, uh, low, low IQ hacktivists in the media. That's Babe Ruth in a batting cage. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, you know, that's a fly on stink, man. That's his native habitat. And, and what it generates is a lot of content in our industry and sympathy within your customer and, and potential support base, because that's the number one piece of content that drives more than anything on the right. Our people are driven driven more by a complete disdain for corporate media and its bias, malfeasance, and hypocrisy more than anything else. So pick as many of those fights, like my boy Ryan Walters is doing right now, as the superintendent of Oklahoma schools, picking all those fights. He texted Mm -hmm. me today and said, man, Politico's coming after me. I gave him your number to give me some backup. Would you mind? I said, would I mind? (laughs) It would be my honor, sir. It would be my solemn honor to do so, okay? Because that's why people like you run for office precisely so people like me get to nuke people like them. And, th- and everybody's happy, and everybody loves that, and we're all unified, right? Like for, for about three hours yesterday, did you notice it was like Ron DeSantis was not in a Republican primary against a popular incumbent? Did you notice that? Because everybody's like, oh, biased media hack. Everybody... Er- Reprogram target, right? And so, like everybody was now pushing back, and and the act the act of him doing this, even though his performance by his standards, and I have fairly high standards for him, I I thought was eh so so in response. What it provoked by the his willingness to to take to to pick the fight is it provoked a response that was overall very beneficial to him, far more beneficial to him than his own performance in that clip was. I thought thoughts on that. 
And I think, why am I bringing it up? Because I think it's a very teachable moment. If you're ever thinking about running for office, school board, city council, state legislature, Congress, doesn't matter. Same principle applies. And if you're ever thinking, I want to get into this business, I want to, I want to get in, I want to use media and my platform uh, to stand up for what I believe in. Same thing applies as well. So yes. that's why I wanted to start with kind of a teachable moment here before we move on. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I like how you stress that this isn't just a presidential thing because you, you, you be prepared enough. Know, know your enemy and assume that a journalist always is these days. And then do not get caught, uh, never lose in that moment. You may not be able to uh, win in that moment or just have, and heck, Steve's even said it, man, I wish I would have said this. That ever happens every once in a while. That, that, that's fine. That happens. And as much as even the, Ron DeSantis speaks, you're going to have those moments. But definitely don't lose in that moment. And you can you can guarantee that, A, by being generally ready and not being psychologically or emotionally off guard, and, and B, just always being more informed on the issue than the hack interviewing you. Amen. Aaron? Yeah, no, this was probably the most rapid and best rapid response we've seen from the campaign yet for one of these moments and would agree with that and continue to create these types of, of moments as much as you possibly can. Uh, the uh, other parts of the uh, interview, the segment on, on, uh, on, on NBC, you know, hearing Casey DeSantis talk about her battle with cancer, that's invaluable as well. So I think... I think the more times that you can create an environment where you are sympathetically portrayed by being unfairly treated by the media, I think that's that's going to be cash money. Okay, so along those lines, I want to pivot from some, to something else, if you guys don't mind, because something I have been asked about a lot in my inbox is why I haven't pushed back harder on DeSantis saying over the last two days that Trump lost the election. So to me, it's semantics. I mean, is Donald Trump president today? He is not. Then he lost the election. Now, we can all debate, and my feelings on this are very clear, and they're not changing. I mean, my, Chip Roy is one of my best friends in the world. The only time him and I have ever argued, and it was vehement, was about this. Yes. Okay? You might have even heard some of those conversations behind the scenes, frankly, at the time. So most everything else, we pretty much share a brain. But on this one, it was heated. To me, it's semantics to say Trump lost the election or it was stolen because Biden is president today. But I want to share with you why I did not. I've not brought it up yet on the show, and I'm bringing it up now because several of you guys have checked me to say why. There's another part of that clip, again, that has largely gone unshown. And, and this is where Ron DeSantis and his team have got to be careful because the media, this is where if you are going to go into that territory and you are, there's, there, there's blowback. The other side has bullets too, right? And so go back to what I said about Trump. This is what Trump is absolutely the best at, blowing up their narratives. And long after he's gone, we're all, all of us that do this for a living are going to owe him some debt of gratitude for the, the body count that he accumulated in doing that. Fair? Yes. Okay. But there's a trade-off. And so when you go into that business, go into that, that's a war zone. The other side's not just going to sit there and let you fire your shots. They're firing back. And so that always creates blowback, collateral damage. You have to beware. For, for Trump, it is allowing it to get so personal 
that you now provide them the content that they will now go to their intended audience and use against you. You know what I'm saying? Yes. See, here he is being a douchebag. Here he is being a jerk. Mean tweets. He insults people, right? He, that where he's where he's so aggressive at times, and I'm I am sympathetic to people who are too aggressive at times. <laughs> okay, where he is so aggressive at times, you create blowback. So now you're feeding their narrative, and maybe you're still winning, but yeah. You let them score more points than maybe they should have. You could have, you should have covered the spread. Mm-hmm. So you won on the scoreboard, but yeah, you didn't cover the spread. For DeSantis, because we're getting really our first look at him on a national stage now. And the thing I think you have to be concerned about, first and foremost, is to make sure you don't let them use you to feed their narrative in another way. So with Trump, it's his persona. That he can let them feed their narrative with his persona. Not a good person. Don't you want to move on? He's erratic. Too much drama. Shouldn't we have normalcy? You know, we've talked. That stuff's been well documented. And we've lived through three election cycles of that kind of behavior and, and response. For DeSantis, what I have seen is people have laid out headlines. DeSantis says Trump lost without going to the rest of the answer to the question that he has said. I mean, keep in mind, this guy outlawed all the Zucker books. Literally, they had, they had cops on the streets in Broward County on election night, guys. On the streets. Just waiting to arrest people for trying to steal the election. Got rid of the Broward County election commissioner. Remember that? Got rid of her. Yeah. Remember, remember when, like, Florida was done counting at, like, 10 o'clock Eastern? And the rest of the, and while we were waiting for the rest, the third largest state in the union. Yeah. Done at 10 o'clock. And the rest of the country is like, what are we, what, you know, we're going to be here a while, you know? So pretty much every reform we've ever asked a Republican to do, they did. They even put photo, photo ID on absentees for chain of custody in Florida. So do not allow them to just run with the headline that just says, DeSantis says Trump lost. And if you do that, and that's what people read... That's not the fault of the people. That's yours. They're, the people are busy. So you've got to make sure you're messaging this properly. See, there's another half of his answer where he goes on about, at the same time, let's not pretend there were not serious issues about that election. For example, among the issues DeSantis cited, quote, the widespread use of mail-in ballots and ballot harvesting, as well as Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg's grants for election administration and social media censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story. DeSantis suggested Trump's support for the $2.2 trillion CARES Act helped contribute to his own loss. A 400, million, 400 million of the funds were allocated to help states with election administration. That's how NPR describes ballot harvesting. Election administration. These people are... Many states chose to make mail-in voting more widely accessible during the pandemic after receiving this money. Now, is there anything in that statement there that controverts anything I have said about this election since the night of it? I was on the air on the blaze here itself mm-hmm. in 2020. No. I don't disagree with any of this. It's all true. But notice that's been left out of a lot of the ways his answer has been portrayed. And this is where if you are that campaign, you better make sure, just as Aaron, you pointed out how ready they were to push back on the abortion question. Yeah. Better be ready to supplement this answer, too. 
especially in a primary where anywhere, no matter which poll you look at, 60 to 70 percent of Republicans think the last election was not legitimate. And that's the base you got to win. Now, hey, if you think the election was legitimate, I would always tell a candidate whether I like them or not, always say what you really think, because that's the best case you'll make. So if you think the election was legitimate, then you should just say so. I will disagree. But you don't do the things Ron DeSantis did in Florida to have a legitimate election because you thought that they weren't going, they were going to just have a legitimate election all on their own, but because you knew they would not, right? Yes. So this is where you hurt yourself because you now don't get the credit for the stuff you, all the stuff Trump's just, you know, all caps on Truth Social about for three years, Ron DeSantis did all of that. Did it all. It's all done. And so you hurt yourself because now you're not getting credit for your resume. And if your intended audience, all they hear is that top line portrayal by the New York Times, what have you, that's on you. And so you better be ready to supplement that right away with the same fierceness that you did with the abortion question yesterday. And so this is why I had not brought it up, because I looked at his full answer. And I didn't disagree with a word of it. It's funny, for the last three years, I have pointed out, even I just found out that, the, that, that Trump wrote a $400 million check through the CARES Act over the weekend. I didn't know. But I have been, I have been saying on this show for over two years, I've been saying this speaking around the country for over two years, the lockdowns are what set the stage to give them the, the means, motive, and opportunity to do ballot harvesting. They've wanted to do this, Todd, all of our yes. lives. Why could they never do it except like in California and, and places like that before? Because they, had, they, they didn't have the political opportunity before, and Trump's lockdowns gave them that opportunity. We've said this on this show how many times? Yes. If, if, if everything that we are struggling with as a country right now, all the car and housing econ- economic stuff all goes back to COVID. What's happening to our kids in schools and everything, all, it all goes back to COVID. It all does. I mean, that was a Thanos snap to our culture. We're still trying to recover. And all those bodies that were whisked away, it, you know, remember, in the, in the MC, they were gone for five years. That's how long it took to bring them back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, we're still trying to recover from that. Yeah, our editor, Blaze editor, Matthew Peterson, tweeted, you know, a revolution happened in 2020. And yes. people are still trying, you know, trying to wake up from that or actually trying to say they're fighting to stay sedated because they just Correct. don't want to acknowledge Correct. it. Correct. And so... It's funny, I've been saying this for the last two years, and everybody nodded and cheered. I went around the country saying this for the last two years, and everybody nodded and cheered. Suddenly, some people are very big mad that I'm saying it. Anybody have any idea why? I can't think of what that would be. Why suddenly, did it just suddenly become untrue? It was true six months ago, it was true 12 months ago, it was true 18 months ago. Did it just suddenly become untrue? Mm, That's not what happens to true things. No. Anyway, we'll just let, we'll let that one go. I just, no, it's kind of weird. Suddenly it's not as popular to say this when it made me very popular to say it for the last two years. But nevertheless, back to my original point. If we are going to praise the rapid response team on the DeSantis side for how they supplemented that abortion um, collision, they needed to do a better job on the, uh, on the election stuff because his full answer is not getting out there to the public. And you do not want to let the do not let the left use you to advance their narrative. That has what that's what's hurt Trump in the past. And ironically, it hasn't been often by him surrendering on issues. It's been by his own behavior because they want to make everything personal about personalities. 
if you're a DeSantis, you definitely your issue is issues. You don't want to you don't want to enhance their narrative. You don't want them to say, see the most right wing, uh, even the most right wing governor in America who is trying to round up gays. Okay, thinks the election was legitimate. You don't want that. Thoughts on that. Listen, Ron DeSantis, this goes back to what I've said about uh, Ron DeSantis all along, as more often than not, uh, utterly uh, prepared. Uh, he just isn't going to give the emotion uh, that a lot of people want because they've been primed uh, uh, by the likes of uh, Donald Trump. And this is all speaks to why an interpretation like you're happening or something that is you've been, you've been cheered for can suddenly uh, turn into a lie because people have, Donald Trump has simply reprogrammed people at a cellular level to just react to things in ways that they simply uh, wouldn't have uh, in the past. But, you know, I, I think your diagnosis on uh, what transpired there, what DeSantis has done, he recognizes there's an obvious threat. Donald Trump himself walked away from this thing how many years ago he's not the president now he's ranting and raving about wanting to be president again because he i mean he couldn't be president again if he was actually president now because of term this is people have lost their minds you simply need to acknowledge that whether it was for illegitimate reasons or not the we need to react to the reality that he wasn't president the only person who did that is DeSantis by not doing all caps things, by making it a reality that it wouldn't happen again. That's why you need to open yourself to up as a legitimate candidate. Set aside, Trump got screwed, but he said he was the only man that could solve. He didn't solve it. Things actually got worse because he did not understand the enemy for being what it actually was. The very fact, let's just pretend that, you know, all of your theories about the election were true. And it, it was stolen because of Dominion flowcharts and Nicolas Maduro stole votes and Hillary Clinton, blah, 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 blah. Let's just all of the most uh, sensational theories are true. How is that not proof that Donald Trump didn't drain the swamp? I, yeah, exactly. But people don't want to hear that. We'll come back, talk to a woman who helped write a book that literally changed my life when we do. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. You need to start taking care of your liver right now. Why? Well, because it helps with eh, approximately 500 key functions in the body. Is that important? Awfully important. And as we get older, the tread on those tires makes it very tired. 
And it, it can be the reason why you might have three and a half times a higher likeliness of heart failure than those without what is called fatty liver. This is why you want to get the liver health solution from the people at Liver Health Formula. It's an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help to recharge and protect your liver. It's manufactured right here in the U.S., approved by American doctors. You can try the Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of nano-powered omega-3s to keep your heart healthy at the same time. Try the Liver Health Formula and get the free gift if you go to getliverhelp.com steve. Don't be one of the 100 million Americans out there with fatty liver and maybe doesn't even know. Do something about it right now. Get liverhelp.com slash Steve and claim your free bonus gift. Get liverhelp.com slash Steve. Well, 15 years ago, I was a, uh, a baby Christian. You know, we, I, one question I have been asked a lot over the course of my career is if there were a list of books that you would have to be required reading what would be on that list and i think we did that evergreen special episode a year or two ago didn't we i think we did that right we did yeah and this book that i'm going to mention was on the list about 15 years ago as a still relatively young christian i was introduced to a book called how now shall we live by the late great chuck colson and it completely changed my life introduced me to what the term biblical worldview means how it applies, etc. And it's one of the books that is the reason or the blame <laughs> for the show that you hear here today. Nancy Piercy contributed to that book back in the day, and she is out now with a new book of her own that is very timely and a topic that we have talked about quite a bit on this show, The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. And it's a pleasure to welcome Nancy back to the show again. And uh, Nancy, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So I like the. I want to start with the title because I don't believe there's any such thing as toxic masculinity. I think there is just masculinity, and then there are males who behave toxically. I think masculinity is a divinely given trait by our creator, and therefore in its, in its, it, 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 it is good because he is good and he made it. I, I do think, I think males um, and I think men behave in toxic ways, but I think that is sin and not masculinity. That is the toxin. Let's start with that. Your thoughts. Oh, absolutely. That's why I did not use the phrase toxic masculinity in the title. I wanted to get both words in there because, of course, that's that's the phrase. But I did not want to use the phrase itself because I agree with you. I don't think that masculinity is toxic. And that's why I did that sort of play on words. That's what I figured. Yeah, 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 the toxic war on masculinity. And most people do sort of a double take. What? what? (laughs) Um, So but I did want to address the fact that there's been increased hostility against men in our culture today that has become socially acceptable to attack masculinity as toxic. I'll give you a few examples. So this was an, an article that caught my eye when I was writing the book. The, the Washington Post had an article titled, Why Can't We Hate Men? I thought, really? In a mainstream publication like this? The a Huffington Post editor had a uh, tweeted a hashtag, kill all men. Uh, you can buy T-shirts that say, so many men, so little ammunition. And there are books out with titles like, I hate men, no good men, and are men necessary? 
So I wrote the book because I wanted to get to the bottom of that. Where is this coming from? Why has the concept of masculinity itself become so denigrated? A recent survey found that almost half of American men, 46%, say these days society seems to punish men just for acting like men. And whether you agree with that or not, that's a lot of the population who now thinks that men are getting a bad deal. Let's go to the question then that you just begged, Nancy. Nancy, where is it coming from? Oh, so the book really gets a much deeper analysis than the typical book or article because most people think it probably arose from the 1960s, second wave feminism. I go back to the Industrial Revolution. Prior to that, families worked together. Fathers worked side by side with their children and their wives on the family farm, the family business, the family industry. And so the social expectation of men focused much more on their caretaking role. And they had to be patient and gentle because they're working with their family members. Mm -hmm. And the concept of authority back then had a very definite meaning. It meant you didn't look out for your own interest. You looked out for the interest of the whole, the common good, as it was called back then. So how did we lose that understanding of masculinity? At the Industrial Revolution, it took work out of the home. Men had to follow their work out of the home into factories and offices. And for the first time, they were not working with people they loved and had a moral bond with. Instead, they were working in competition with other men. And that's when you see the literature change. You start to see people protesting that the male character was changing, that they were losing that caretaking ethos that they had had in the, the, the colonial era, and that men were becoming self-interested, aggressive, assertive, uh, look out for number one, make it, make it uh, at all costs, and so on. Greedy and acquisitive, those were two of the words that were very commonly used. So already back then, they didn't use the phrase toxic masculinity, but the, the beginning, that was the beginning. It was the first time in American literature that you start to see the masculine character defined in negative terms. And so if that's where it started, that gives us a clue to how to fix it, too, because what it does mean is you, we need to find a way to reconnect men to their families, and especially their sons. Uh, a psychiatrist I quote in my book said, we're not going to have a better class of men until we have a better class of fathers mm -hmm. raising, the, raising the next generation. Well, I mentioned your old friend Chuck Colson when we brought you on. I had a chance to interview him early in my career before he passed away. And one of the things that he said to me is after decades of doing prison ministry, one question was the same regardless of socioeconomic or racial status if you asked if you asked somebody who was violent incarcerated for acting violently you asked a male where was your dad and either they didn't know or their dad was also in prison and he said that he told me that was a that was a universal region regionality race socioeconomic status if you were incarcerated for a violent act if i asked you he said after decades of prison ministry where is your dad you either didn't know him or he was in prison too exactly we knew that working at prison fellowship that's some 85 percent or so of people in prison which are mostly men um were there were, especially violent crime like you say they they were raised in fatherless homes and you have to realize that today, 40% of American children are growing up living apart from their natural fathers and often do not even know their natural fathers. It's the highest rate of single parenthood in the world. Isn't that something to be 
know, the top in the world for, we have the highest rate of single parenthood in the world. And this is not a left-right issue anymore. Both sides agree that growing up without a father has an incredibly harmful impact on especially young boys. But again, it started with the Industrial Revolution. Until then, fathers and sons were working side by side. Fathers were teaching their sons the skills that they would need to have a successful adult life. When fathers were taken out of the home for the first time, boys were growing up without a day-to-day -day role model. So one psychologist called it industrial fatherlessness because even though the father was technically, technically in the home, he wasn't there in the way that he used to be and young men were growing up. Another psychologist said that's when we had our first uh, identity crisis for boys. So it's the, the father-son relationship that is crucial to raising kids who have a firm and positive understanding of masculinity. All right. I started by asking you about the title of your book, Nancy, and, and the turn of phrase there. I want to get to the subtitle, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. Last week I laid out, because I get asked a ton, what to look for in a church. And, and one of the mm -hmm. things I mentioned, I mean, there are automatics. I mean, if I have to tell you orthodoxy, then you're listening to the wrong show. Th those are automatics. Okay. But then you want to, when, when I think people are asking me that question, it's because they want to know who's serious about orthodoxy, not just, it's, it's, it's like some esoteric philosophical position, but no, we like, we want to impact the world with the word. And one of the things I said to look for is look for a church that has a vibrant men's ministry because men won't want to just keep getting together to talk. The primary thing women need from other women is encouragement. The primary thing men need from other men is accountability. After a while, men will want to do something. Otherwise, what's the point? I'm busy. I've got a million duties. And a lot of our modern churches don't want the men engaged and active because they'll also go to the man in the pulpit and say, why aren't we doing more? Why? I mean, what are we doing here? Why are we just kind of playing church? And so keep the men docile. Do not mobilize them. Do not encourage them. And then they don't push back on you. Because what I see is a, is a Christianity in America that is not ready or even willing or wanting to reconcile the questions that you're begging. And so you have people like Andrew Tate, a pornographer and his brother stepping into this breach. And even though they are, what they represent is com a complete antithesis of the biblical notion of masculinity, the fact that they would represent anything that would put, that would, that would cause men to take initiative in any area at all still makes them a threat to the system, almost as if they were actually preaching things that were righteous and holy when they are not. And so what I see is a young generation of men like my son, who, who are tired of, of going to church with dad and, and looking at a guy in the pulpit and saying, I don't want to be like that guy when I grow up. All right. And, and instead they look at people like Andrew Tate and stuff that's all over their phone on TikTok and saying, now that's a little bit more of an actual man. So I don't even know that is the church even willing or wanting to fulfill the subtitle of your book? Well, it is true that the American church is more, has far more women than men. The average congregation is 60% women, 40% men. So that is a problem. Men are simply not going. They're voting with their feet. They're simply not going to church. Mm -hmm. But I did want to start with the good news. Um, we tend to also scold men. You know, the tone that churches take toward men is also, also tends to be more of a scolding. One of my graduate students is a, in charge of a women's, move, uh, women's ministry at a large uh, Baptist church, and she, she told me, on Mother's Day, we hand out roses and tell them mothers are wonderful. On Father's Day, we scold the men and tell them to do better. 
Yes. So one thing I did, I did in my one thing I did in my book is I actually wanted to start with the good news, the encouraging news, and so I put this right at the beginning of the book. Uh, sociological data shows that evangelical Christian men, like you said, the ones who are really devout and committed, do test out the best of any group in America in terms of being loving fathers and husbands, um, and and of course that's contrary to the media narrative. It was easy to find accusations that said, oh, evangelical men are exhibit A of toxic masculinity. I'll give you just one of them. Uh, the co-founder of the Church Two movement, which followed the Me Too movement, said this. She said, the theology of male headship feeds the rape culture that we see permeating American Christianity today. So many people think that any notion of male headship in the home turns men into overbearing, domineering patriarchs. So the social scientists were listening to the same media narratives that you and I are, and they said, where's your evidence? You're making these accusations, but where's your data? Mm -hmm. So they went out and did the studies. And in my book, I cite some dozen or more studies where they found that, in fact, Evangelical men test out the highest of any other group in America. Their wives report the highest level of happiness with their husband's love and affection. Evangelical fathers are the most engaged with their children, both in terms of shared activities like sports and church youth group, and in terms of discipline, like setting limits on screen time or enforcing bedtime. Evangelical couples divorce at a lower rate than any other group in America, and they have the lowest rate of domestic violence of any major group in America. So this was stunning. This is not well known. I had to go digging in the academic literature to find it. And so I put it right at the beginning of the book because I wanted to start with the good news. Let's encourage the Christian men who are doing a good job, who are in fact testing out by objective you know, social science measures. This is not a pep talk from a religious leader. This is solid empirical research. This is evidence-based findings. And so I think we should, first of all, make sure we're bringing it into the churches. And secondly, we should be bold about bringing this into the public square and saying, look, Christian men are in fact showing us a solution to reconciling the sexes, as I put it in my subtitle. You're going to get more great information like what Nancy just shared if you pick up this book today. And again, I've had you on before. I want to thank you again. I mean, that work, like I said at the top, I mean, it literally helped to put me on the path that I'm on now. So all the people that I have disappointed and angered by the way I have done this show all these years, you and Chuck, frankly, are to blame for it. And I am a mere victim. So I just wanted to pass that blame on to you guys. It's the name of the book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes from Nancy R. Piercy. Nancy, it's good to have you back on our show and good luck with the book. God bless you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, guys, what do you think of that conversation? Dads, 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 dads. You both agreed. Uh, you're absolutely right. W when men need to be men, fundamentally, you can't. It, it, it's, it, it's not this species out on an island. You, you instantly go to that direction, mm -hmm. creating the next generation. And all, the, the number of issues as it relates uh, to subsections of America, in, inner cities, things like that, how we blast past that all the time ignore the 400 pound gorilla in the room it's fundamental to why uh we are a society of consumers and not 
citizens. We, we simply will not define ourselves in the way that God intended us to. And there is zero way this whole thing can work if we don't correct that. Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been around, uh, you know, even young children um, who are not in uh, families necessarily where, where the parents and, and by, you know, that means the dads are not doing their jobs. And it's not that they're just misbehaved or um, uh, angry, that they're, they seem to be sad. <laughs> they just seem to be sad. And that breaks my heart. But you see in homes, and I've been around even more, fortunately, in my circles, where the, the dad is doing a good job, doing his job. And the children are wonderful uh, to be around. And the ramifications early on, and really throughout all of, all of childhood, on the impact of dad setting the standard, setting the tone in the home every single day with consistency, the ramifications of that. I talked about pastors and men yesterday. Even more, dad and mm -hmm. children, dad and family. That's the ball game. My mom, my wife sent me a video yesterday about a guy saying that they interviewed a pedophile and said, what's the biggest threat to yeah. pedophiles? They said, dads, who they mm. know will be a threat. Mm. And this is your job is to be a threat to protect your family. Mm. All right, for Pop Culture Tuesday, I'm going to lay something out, and then you guys are going to tell me, is it fake news or not? When yeah. we come back for hour two, stay tuned. All right, back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcasts. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Totters, and all of you. Cheryl, by the way, thinks we need to really stop doing the birthday. Sherry, I'm sorry. Sherry Bennett has had enough with the birthday wishes. And she might be right, but I got to do this one. Lori Braun says, I want to wish my twin sister Elaine a happy twin day. But I think she'd much rather chew glass than listen to a show like yours. <laughs> twin sister? Indeed. Wow. So thank you, Lori, for that. Happy twin day to your twin. Why is Who Sherry... would rather chew glass than uh, listen to us? Why is Sherry fed up? That's what I'm really I, I interested can, in. I can, you know. But too much happy. Believe me, I'm totally... Too much happy can be annoying. Starting to get a little chummy around here. <laughs> Yes. Well, let's like it's a little bit like when Anna asked you a couple weeks ago, "What do you like about us?" And then you realize oh, that went man. too far, and you had to come back the next week and bury us. And it, it felt like the force had been reset. Yeah. We had balanced the force, right? Yeah. Let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show. Todd's like, "I'm I'm the guy who drinks drink vinegar, vinegar, and you guys are worried about <laughs> yeah. things being too happy." All right. Steve at stevedays.com is where you can send us your laments, complaints. Affirmations. Funny because tomorrow, stop yelling at us right from the get-go. Not too much happy. Please do not start. What What exactly can you do to thread this needle? Nothing. Nothing. That's why I don't try. Exactly. That's why I don't even try. I don't even try. I just try to do the best show I can do and let the chips fall where they may. That's it. Just do it all at once. Happy birthday and you suck. Yes. And the horse you rode in on. <laughs> and your mom. Don't forget your mom. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can follow us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab, uh, as well as at Steve Day Show on Twitter. I'm sorry, X, whatever it's called. Getter and Instagram, uh, as well as TikTok. And then look for me on Truth Social, at Real Steve Dace. Their last name is D-E-A-C-E. Please leave us a five-star review. If you haven't yet, thank you to all of you whom have. Hit subscribe or follow as well, so you get every episode that we do downloaded right into your podcast feed every day. And our this portion of the show is brought to you by Jace Medical. Remember, they came out with the Jace case last year. We promoted that. That is proven venerable antibiotics that who knows could be on the next list the next time they put us on the kill list. And they, yeah, those meds we told you were safe and we gave Nobel Prizes to. Don't go anywhere near them now when you need them the most. Now they're back with a new product for you to back up your meds in case your meds are now that suddenly... Uh, dangerous when you need them the most and the wide range of publication uh, publications wide range of medications everything dealing from cholesterol to heart health blood pressure even mental health and more back up your medications for up to 12 months with jacemedical.com use the code dace at checkout for the discount code dace at checkout for the discount at jace medical j-a-s-e jacemedical.com again that's jacemedical.com so this is going to seem like a conversation about sports, but it's about a lot more than that. And I want to I want to spin a tale, if I could, for Pop Culture Tuesday, when we look at the intersection between what's happening in pop culture and conservatism. And then after I tell you this tale, I want you guys, we're going to then pivot right to fake news or not. And you guys are going to tell me if I'm fake news or not. Okay. If the tale I just laid out is real. Okay. So let's let's talk about what's going on with college football and conference realignment because it's about much more than that. I think it's a tale that uh, contains much of what is now eroding nearly all of our cultural institutions in real time. There is a dash of everything in here that's contributing to our current decline. You can put in the cauldron institutional myopia. Uh, ideological blinders, no self-awareness whatsoever. I mean, are these themes we talk about on a frequent basis in various venues? Hubris to think you can ignore natural law, in this case, market economics, uh, fake victimology, greed, and then good old-fashioned elitism. Is that a familiar recipe? It is. In these days? It is. So let's begin. The, The genesis of our story actually takes us back almost 40 years ago. There is an organization called the NCAA, and it regulates collegiate athletics with an iron fist. It even has antitrust protection from the government, yet it is now facing, in the year 1984, it is facing the first real challenge to its hegemony. Because we are at the ascendancy of cable television and mass media which means there's all these new channels, including this brand new sports channel that's really taken off called ESPN, and they need content. The problem is the NCAA incredulously believes that it can control which schools get on TV and how often. And it just so happens that the most lucrative content available, live events. And among the most lucrative content in the live event category, live sporting events. The Supreme Court rules 7-2 to that this was a violation of antitrust laws. 
and thus began the bleed-out of NCAA authority over college football. No longer would there be a central organization of bureaucrats unaccountable to anybody running the system. That seems like a very positive step. We argue against that in almost every other walk of life, correct? And, and it was. Over the next two decades, the NCAA would lose control over both the method and form of its most profitable sport to the very schools it was supposed to regulate. Now, at first, <clears throat> this decentralization, or as Todd likes to call it, subsidiarity of power in college football made this sport flourish like never before. It became the second most popular sport in America. It maintained strong regionalization with cherished traditions. But then each region had its own marquee teams, games with national impact and interest. If you lived in Iowa, where we do, you knew what the Apple Cup was. Oh, that's when Washington and Washington State play. You knew that. You knew what the Iron Bowl was. That's when, that's when Alabama and Auburn play. If you live in Alabama, you know what the game is. That's Michigan and Ohio State. The schools now governed themselves primarily through their respective conferences, each of whom had kind of their own flavors, quirks, television access. Everything was fresh every year. Every year, a season would begin. It would be like Christmas morning, unopened presents. You didn't know what was inside. <clears throat> Games were on coast to coast now, 12 to 16 hours a day each Saturday. So you had nationalization via regionalization. Perfect mix. This decentralization also led to diversity and innovation. Each network had its own Hallmark broadcasters. CBS, Brent Musburger, you are looking live. ABC, Keith Jackson, oh, Nelly. ESPN, Ron Franklin calling those SEC games at night with an understated class. Even the on-field product. You go back and watch football videos pre-post-World War II. Everybody's running the same offense. Now we've got run and shoots. Spread, veers. Spread options. Even the triple option came back. You could literally watch a different sport in any window. It was the same sport, but it would look completely different in any time window, depending on who was playing. <clears throat> they had innovations like bowl alliances, conference title games that increased interest all the more. From 1984 to 2014, college football ironically spent 30 years proving nearly every tenet of free market, free market principles true even as the ideology being taught on the same college campuses was collectively abandoning those tenets at, real time, at the same time, and that would eventually come home to roost. It seemed like this gravy train had no end, however, while the opportunities for young athletes were growing. Remember, football funds all the other non-revenue sports, like the ones that Todd's very gifted daughters play in. Those opportunities were growing. The money to the schools was flowing the invariable trade-offs and challenges were approaching. 2014 was a pivotal year in college football because it debuted the sport's first postseason playoff to determine a true national champion. And this would become, in very short order, the most lucrative TV rights event other than the Super Bowl or Olympics. And it came after this previous conference realignment shift until last week. That was the biggest ever. And all of that was driven at that time by an attempt to uh, the biggest conferences to accumulate as, mo as many of the major TV markets to increase their revenue. 
So now they're making an amount of money that is impossible to ignore. And we all know what money they're making. It's in all the business journals. Everybody knows these schools and these conferences are making ungodly sums of money. And yet at the same time, the sports labor pool, the players, they're still being asked to operate under a generations old paradigm. One that predated all this record money. As a result of this, perceptions and politics start to change. If it could once be argued the education these football players were receiving in exchange for their labor was worth as much, if not more, than their output, that was clearly not the case anymore. And that's before we even get to the declining quality of today's college education anyway, which isn't worth it for most people. Especially because at the same time, college football wants to restrict its most marketable athletes, all of whom are legal adults, from profiting off of their name, image, and likeness. In other words, free markets for me, the schools, but not for you, the players. This abandonment of and unwillingness to evenly apply free market principles while reaping the benefit of them played right into the anti-capitalist doctrines preached everywhere else on those same college campuses. The same campuses the media covering the sport came from. Oh yes, the media. Eventually the players became more than undercompensated. They became victims. Despite the fact they got to live a charmed life on almost every college campus compared to the rest of the student body, they're the sports media's most um, Che Guevara-esque testimonies. That's how they have been portrayed. Yes, the imbalance created by the evolution of the industry should have been addressed. But the sport now finds itself caught in a black hole between the limousine liberals and the ivory towers and those who think Das Kapital is divine revelation. The same progressive administrators who love to book Bernie Sanders for 50K a pop to come on their campus and preach about injustice only ever evolved the business model when the courts made them do so. Meanwhile, this drove the media covering the sport harder left in the social media age. Few things play as well in this era as being perceived as a victim. And we're now seeing this on the right, by the way. This is you know, becoming a very profitable strain. It's, it's almost better to lose elections now than it is to win them. There's gold and then victimized hills. The window for a rational solution to bridge this unjustified divide was now closed. Because now players have been <clears throat> empowered. What does that mean? Well, the players get to now use social media because the media is encouraging this. You now, if, you're, if, you're, if your head coach wears a shirt to practice uh, that says, or wears a shirt in public that says One American News Network on it, like Mike Gundy did when he was co- at Oklahoma State, he gets attacked by the players and has to issue an apology. And, uh, you can abandon the school anytime you want. Your, anytime your feelings are hurt, transfer portal, I'm out. You can try to smear a coach anytime you want, like what happened last week with P.J. Fleck. Player empowerment. Che Guevara activated because you see in the Marxist social theory most of college sports media was imbued with the victims only become victors by becoming revolutionaries you must smash rather than polish the stained glass windows no rational solutions will do only the radical ones so while the players became fully radicalized by the media and their institutes own elitist ineptitude, those institutions were increasingly being squeezed at the other end by the realities of market economics they now thought they could ignore. 
the Supreme Court ruled nine to nothing. You could not limit the value of a scholarship, meaning if one school thought that a scholarship included a car and another school said we can't afford that, the other, you don't get to stop another school from determining what its scholarship is worth. Other cases ruled the players now had a right to market themselves. Meanwhile, TV markets were starting to matter less, while brand potency was beginning to matter more. Vanderbilt and Rutgers are located in Nashville and New York, two very coveted TV markets. But their respective shares of those markets is so anemic that schools like Oregon and Clemson, who are from holes in the wall, like Eugene and South Carolina, you know, BFE South Carolina, they have far more valuable, rabid fan bases, so they're worth more now. Why does this matter? Because the technology is changing. Linear television is a dying model. Advertising budgets aren't what they used to be. Soon, streaming will be all. All will be streaming. Except there are already too many streaming services for everybody to afford before we even get to that point. So that means you need to load up on bankable brands to join with for that eventuality right now. So that you have a content library that is so loaded with can't-miss products, people will feel they have to pay for it. So thus, between the mega dollars still on the table, via Linear's last baby boomer gasp, the oncoming train known as next-generation streaming, we're in this sweet spot right now where there's all kinds of incentive to consolidate, both coming out of a paradigm and going into one. And that is why you saw what you did last week in college football. But why specifically was the Conference of Champions the IBM of this tale. Well, the Pac-12, like IBM, has nobody to blame for itself. IBM thought MS-DOS was invaluable. Told these two guys like Bill Gates and Paul Allen, eh, you can have it, all yours. Thank you. I mean, you would think the conference that resides in Silicon Valley would recognize a reboot, but it did not. The Pac-12 could have been a dominant player 12 years ago, but it decided against adding Colossus Texas because Texas wanted to absorb its own network into the Pac-12s. That same Pac-12 network that had no linear partner ended up becoming a sinking albatross that nearly bankrupted the conference. The Pac-12 then idiotically signed its media rights away for a decade. Any technological evolutions taken place here in 10 years or less in the industry we work in? Yes. And they just signed everything away for 10 years so that it was no longer in a position to respond to market changes. Of course, those, those evolutions eventually came, and the league was now handcuffed from evolving itself. It was trapped, a trap of its own making. Then the league failed to see that it only had one standalone brand, USC. And schools like Cal Berkeley that invest nothing in sports by comparison were being treated the same. Now, I get that you want to share revenue in, co in a conference. We've been doing that in the Big Ten our whole lives. But there are ways to still play favorites with people who are carrying the freight. For example, don't make USC play a Friday night road game on a short week in a tough situation, which, makes, which adds an L to your most bankable brand and costs you a playoff spot. Pac-12 did this several times. Didn't have to. Just chose to. Eventually, Fox and the Big Ten, now joined as one, made an offer the Trojans simply could not refuse, and the Big Ten only made that offer to compete with a brand acquisitions made by ESPN and SEC, which are now fused as one when they acquired Texas and Oklahoma from another conference, the Big 12. Still, despite all of this, the Pac-12 had another chance to save itself in the aftermath of the stunning loss of USC. The league was given a respectable offer for its new TV rights. But now the lack of self-awareness comes in. Well, we're the conference of champions. We think we're worth more. So they turned it down and they went to market, believing they could do better. 
When they went to market, they learned a very harsh truth. You're just not that valuable. In fact, there's a sports business journal today out with a report that shows only one major network, only one linear network even bid officially on the Pac-12. And it was ESPN for like a handful of games at 10 o'clock Eastern. And yet still, after all this self-awareness, there was one more chance for this league to save itself. The Big 12, stinging from the loss of its top brands, offered a partnership to the Pac-12. And it would have saved both of them. But those sanctimonious fellows in the ivory towers in Berkeley and Palo Alto, well, they just couldn't imagine being in bed with places like Ames, Iowa, and Waco, Texas. So they sneered at them and turned them down. That snooty elitism would be the final blow. There was now nowhere to go. The league was caught between the elitism of its presidents unwilling to partner with people they viewed as deplorable and the realities of its lack of market value so it couldn't get a deal on its own. And the league kept promising this new deal was coming for a year and it never really came. When it finally arrived, it was not what was being billed. It was an embarrassing incentive-based streaming deal that resembled much of the very same model that had already failed the conference called the Pac-12 Network. This is almost like business karma. They, this is failing full circle. The league was right back to where it started. And then several of those schools, like Utah, who was looking down at the Big 12, and why the hell is, look, why the hell is Utah looking down at anybody, by the way? Can I ask that question? We're now calling that league hat in hand last week looking for a landing spot because you see when the Pac-12 passed on that deal, the Big 12 stepped in and said, we'll take it. And the networks gave it to them instead. The Big said, we'll t- the Big 12 said, we'll take that deal. We'll stabilize ourselves. We recognize who we are. We recognize we're not one of the big boys and we're okay with that. We just want to be stable. We're going to be self-aware. It was even thankful when it, a- when it added the Pac-12's worst program, Colorado. And thus the league, which acknowledged reality, will live on and thrive. It has found its market niche. The league that thought it could magically think will die or at least be relegated. And this is a tale that is being told across the American landscape right now. Systems that refuse to adapt when they have the chance. And then once caught in their own hubris, they're exploited by radicals and crisis actors. Those who see truth and act on it still have a chance, but they are rare. And that's a major reason why American exceptionalism is increasingly rare in our day and age. Now, is the tale that I just spun fake news or not? Gentlemen, I'll get your take on that after we talk about our friends over at Patriot Mobile, who are on the cutting edge of recognizing market realities, who are attempting now to be on the vanguard of the parallel economy. And thankfully, they are with a product all of us need nowadays, our mobile phones. So if you want to take part in doing business, and you do, because I do business with them, so I can attest firsthand how well they do business. If you want to do business with America's only American mobile phone company left, offering dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks that you can switch to or another at any time with their 100% U.S.-based customer service team, go to PatriotMobile.com right now. Make the switch. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Use the offer code Steve uh, for a free activation. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know. They've always got extra goodies for you to say thank you for your service to the country. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Stop giving money to people who hate you. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve or call 878-PATRIOT. Gentlemen, the floor is yours. Uh, it's 
it's fake news because it misses the forest for the trees. It's it's right in so far as it goes, but it's it's it is ultimately like doing a deep dive on the many years of watching the Kardashians, um, it, and analyzing their relationships. It, but none we're not supposed to be spending this much time on this. It's an it's it's an it's an idol. The Kardashian, yes, men are built by competition, football, and pursuit of women. But like the the Kardashians have just become. A caricature, and modern football has become a caricature of what it was designed to accomplish. And this dovetails exactly with what we talked about in the previous segment. And all the time, where are the men? Well, this is what the men are doing far too often. And in you know, over in England, it would be you watching soccer or something like that. But we, your diagnosis of everything from front to beginning is correct except the end that it about acknowledging reality none of this this is a fantasy land the, the amount of time that the, uh, and we can't we'll never be able to get this right because it is it, it has become an idol it is like the donald trump presidency all, all gloss and glitter up to a point but when serious things start to happen it simply could not deal with reality because it spends all its time wanting to escape reality. The same is true now. This is the Kardashian football league. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's deeply tragic because, my goodness, there's so many life lessons from football. There's so much to be had with keeping it in proportion. But, you know, now here we are, and you just listen to sports radio. It's so funny listening to everybody talk about it. Everybody's like, man, this is chaos. This is broken. What can we do? When they've spent all the time saying all the things that, rooting for the things that got us here, and now saying, outwardly, their self-awareness is like, I know this is all bad and broken, but, man, I can't wait till college football season starts. You're, you, you will not escape this black hole. That's the problem. This is not a re- this is not a sustainable reality, but it's what we want. What do you do with that? And it hurt it hurts because our show is built on men being men. They can't be men and be this obsessed with this. First of all, I love that that was a 43 tweet thread that took you 20 minutes to roll out Steve and Todd's like Fake news. Yeah. Fake, fake news. <laughs> I love that. But the way where Todd ended there is kind of where I want to go with this. This is a tale of a failure um, of masculinity and men, just as much as it is elitism, all the other snobbery, all the other things that you laid out as well. But it's also for one conference here, a triumph of it, actually. Bob Bowlesby, now the former commissioner of the Big 12, not only did he help save college football in 2020 from the madness of COVID, Stan, whatever he did when Texas and Oklahoma bolted, whatever he did to creatively and really blow this up to enforce ESPN to come to the table with a pretty good deal, just saying, yeah, no, we're not just going to uh, feel sorry for ourselves here. We're going to act proactively. Okay, I was just stabbed in the back by two really big knives in Texas and Oklahoma. And no, this is not this is not going down on my watch. So I think he deserves credit in all of this. He might have he might have uh, saved a lot of programs 
he might have saved a lot of and then a uh, lot of, of that means a lot of scholarships lot for of scholarships, soccer players, a lot rowers. of opportunities yep. for a ton of people. Agreed. However, the biggest takeaway that I have from all of this is it shocking to you in a culture and particularly a microculture, which it's big. California is a big state, so a large culture like California that's run by communists and the communists look conservative to those at UC Berkeley and Stanford and other places, but especially UC. Is it shocking to you that this fell apart principally because of the elitists at those institutions who preach, who preach a gospel of inhumanity? Really, that's what they do. That's what these institutions do, Prince, uh, first and foremost, is preaching a doctrine of inhumanity. Does it shock you that they don't give a flat rip about tradition? Does it shock you that they don't give a flat rip about the regional ties and the rivalries and things like that and doing everything that they can to preserve that? No, it, it doesn't shock you at all. This entire episode is inhumane in the sense that, no, we're going to toss all of the things. We're just going to get rid of all of the things that made not only college football worthwhile, not only made it fun, we're just going to get rid of all the things that made it a good thing. It, it shouldn't ch shock you at all. So, yes, there is a triumph of, of masculinity to some degree with Bob Bowlesby in the Big 12. I think that's a, maybe a silver, lining story of, of, of the silver lining of this story. But fundamentally, we just don't know what we are and who we are as human beings. And it should not shock us that the same people who preach the gospel of inhumanity at those institutions would just be totally fine with chucking all of the things that made this sport good. We're short on time. I want to add one thing. I, from my perspective, doesn't mean I'm right. From my perspective, my difference in opinion from you guys or whatever difference in opinion I have stems from I just don't believe you can possibly ask human nature to turn down the amount of money that was offered to them. That's just not how people act. That's just not human nature. And once that kind of money is, that's what market economics is about. Once that kind of money is on the table, things change. Tony That's Evans reality. disagrees in the book we're studying right now. Okay. That, that the institutions were literally supposed to say, we don't want $100 million from ESPN. We don't want that. They were supposed to say that. We, we argue against the media in every because, other sphere because, defining be, terms. But here's the thing, but Todd. But in football, that we million dollars, okay because we love it? That $100 million is what's funding that, that program at Arkansas that it your daughter's before. at right now. It was before. We don't need okay. this now to do that. It was before. Okay. That's also what let you have games on ESPN and stuff to watch what you were when you were growing up all your life. So you want, that's my point. That's why I started with the other model. We were either going to have a model where a bunch of unelected bureaucrats decided everything, or we were going to have a model that where people were able to market what they were actually worth. There was going to never be an in-between. There was never going to be an in-between. We're not allowed to have these asterisks as Christians where we say this thing is just all value. The whole point of that book, Lord over everything, this is but we're not talking about Christians. We're talking about people. I mean, I, no, I, I, no, no, no. I, we're talking to what, how we're the world is supposed to be. We can't, we can't ask sinners to behave as saints. They don't. That's why we, we came up with free markets, yep. because sinners won't behave as saints. That we had to create situations to create competition to incentivize them to behave better.
Yes, we're getting a bit of break from the record heat we were having in July. August has kind of come in a little bit to like the chill of an early fall, to quote the great prophet George Strait. Nevertheless, get ready. You know the heat's coming back. The dog days of summer will resume. Or maybe you're just somebody that struggles with this clinically when you get anxious or nervous or the adrenaline gets going, a first date, a job interview. You just struggle with chronic oversweating. Our friends at Sweatblock, whether it is just keeping the, the temperature cooler, whether it's a clinical situation, they can help you in either case. Their antiperspirant wipes are designed for your under, underarms. They work days at a time with your current uh, grooming and hygiene habits. They've got their own stick deodorant. I'm a big fan of the deodorant lotions for the more, shall we call them, intimate regions uh, that I think work very, very well. Great stuff. If you want to try it right now, get 20% off at sweatblock.com. Use the promo code DACE. That's how you'll get that 20% off. 20% off with the promo code DACE at sweatblock.com right now. D-E-A-C-E. Promo code DACE at sweatblock.com. There is a new documentary out. And we are doing a special screening here tomorrow in my backyard here in Des Moines because yours truly is featured in this film. It is, I think, maybe the only, uh, it's the most, if not the only balanced view of the Trump presidency that I have seen produced because it, entire the entire perspective comes from the right. I think the left has shown it's just not capable of showing any modicum of self-awareness or restraint where Donald Trump is concerned. And so a filmmaker by the name of Robert Orlando, armed with the knowledge of Trump's favorite movie by his own admission, Citizen Kane, set out to embark upon a journey. What is Trump's rosebud then? What, what keeps him going when other men would have walked away in shame or in defeat, scandals, divorces, failures? It doesn't matter. He comes back over and over and over again. It's got a cast of characters across the spectrum from Trump zealots like Seb Gorka to Trump skeptics who worked for him like Bill Barr to people like me that don't care what the hell your name is. If if I like what you do, I'm for you. If I don't, then I don't. And I think it's, by the way, it's just a really well done film as well. So we look forward to screening it tomorrow. And there is Robert Orlando, the guy who put this film together. Robert, good to see you again, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Thanks for having me again. I look forward to our discussion today. You bet. So the idea to do this movie came from where? Uh, Other other than everywhere, other than everywhere, the idea to do this movie came from where? (laughs) Uh, The unavoidable abyss of mass media. It was the unavoidable subject matter, and I'm a big fan of Orson Welles. And having done films on Reagan and John Paul II and historical figures like Patton and Apostle Paul, uh, I didn't want to address the, the elephant in the room because I didn't think the way I view Trump would be acceptable to most people because I take tend to take a complex, independent point of view like you do. So I didn't know when to pull the trigger. But um, when the his first re-election was coming around, I thought I had something significant to say. Wrote a book, was attacked from all sides. You know you're doing something right when you get attacked from all sides. And, and also then I tried to make a film during COVID and got crushed because the money ran out and everything ran out at one time. And I found myself trying to put together an essay, an original uh, version of the film, which was like an essay comparing Trump to William Randolph Hearst through the character of Citizen Kane. I called it Citizen Trump, a one-man show. 
things I was trying to show ultimately that Trump was more of a media figure than anything else. And we can deconstruct that if we have the time today. But then it was it was bothering me for years because it was an incomplete attempt, which got shut down again from both ends. No one wanted to hear it. It was a bit too heady with you needed to know a little bit about Citizen Kane to make the reference and see that Hearst is almost an archetype of Trump to, to varying degrees, as is Citizen Kane, the character. But it just was bothering me, like, because I didn't handle the Rosebud issue, I think, well enough, didn't have the testimonies of those close to him, and that became my can't-let-it-go second venture into a second version of the film, which became Trump's Rosebud. Like, what is really ticking here? What's the core of the story, and how do I get to it? So how do you get to it? Well, I'm not going to give the ending away. <laughs> no one will see the film. But I think I did offer using using the the same plot strategy of Cain and meaning that there at the end of it all we all are subject to these symbolic relationships of the past. Uh, you want to call them our wounds, the things we cover up, the things we hide. Uh, it's not just psychobabble um, if it's handled correctly, and I think with a certain level of, of sophisticated st- sophistication. But it does give you a way to track back that sometimes all of our lives are a way to try and forget something. It's all a reaction from something that hurt us real bad when we were young. And this is not like a left-right issue. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is not even this is not even political in nature. I think this is so basic. It's absurd. I I've had such a fight to just get the film out. So I'm looking forward to finally uncorking that and saying, no, we're all sinners. We're all human. We all have things we cover up, even powerful men, and maybe even more so with powerful men. What did you What did you learn through this process about the subject matter at hand that surprised you the most? Um, the first thing was I lived in New York with Trump for so long that, frankly, I mean this respectfully, he was almost such a accepted kind of figure. Like um, I don't want I don't want to use the wrong language, but he was just accepted as someone who, on some level, yeah, he was a businessman, did great things at certain times. So it was kind of like more of a buffoon, like more of like a showcasing over the top. Not you don't quite take him serious. So when you're living with someone like that, he was almost easy to dismiss. I mean, he's waking up in bed with his wife Melania, or I don't know if she, he was married then, talking with Howard Stern about what happened the night before. He's calling Tucker Carlson on the phone, and I don't know what kind of can I use uh, language on your probably <laughs> not, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, he's talking about how uh, you know he, Tucker makes a comment that's slightly derogatory, even just critical of him on the news, and he catches Tucker at the pool the next day with his children and says, yeah, that was a good comment, but I get blanked more than you do. I mean, just so there's like petty cross-dressing with Giuliani. He just wasn't a serious figure, and he was continuously running to be president. It wasn't just like one moment, an epiphany, and then he came down the escalator. He was calculating for years. Yeah, he was going to run in 2012. Um, I know people that he flew out to Trump Tower. He was showing them the campaign merch and everything. They were ready to go. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they pulled the plug and did not do it. Yeah. But but it goes back even further. He was looking into the Reform Party. Right, right. I have a theory on this. I couldn't cover the book. If I I get to write the, the full tome. Like if we have enough distance from as I might like, like Haberman did, but maybe with coming more from the center right, I would still hit some of the notes that she did. And that is that a lot of this comes from, I think, avoiding the strongman contest. So in the case of 2000, he was not going to have a debate with Pat Buchanan. He would have been slaughtered by Pat Buchanan. As a governor, he was not going to take on Cuomo. And then even Romney was a little softer, but strong enough to kind of keep him out outside the circle. And they 
play tricks on each other. And finally, Trump dropped out when he realized he wasn't being embraced. But he's been looking at running for a long time and selling books as a result of that. And I see DeSantis in the same archetype. Like, he needs to be destroyed first because he's too strong of an opponent if it ever came down to one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and that's and that's another little piece that's in the nuance of my book, but it doesn't quite flesh it out. There was no room to flesh it out. What do you want this film to accomplish? I want it to reposition as best a film can do. I, I, well, let me start. Let me take a step back. For the Iowa release, I would love it to get into the ether of the caucus because I think it's a film that creates a forum in a style that's not... Um, memes or just like soundbite level stuff, but more of the complexities where you can weigh things against each other and say, well, it is not all bad or good. And I would probably check a lot of the policy boxes that Trump did and where is he right or wrong, which I think you try and do on your show all the time, which is why I think this is a great opportunity for us to do something together. But I, I think I want them to see that it's okay to think independently again. You don't have to pick a side before you start thinking. And I was getting a little pissed off with like that obligatory like what side are you on and, you know like people approaching you right or left forget the left i mean you're you're not on your side they've got a, a list for you already but on your right it was almost like how could you go against the fearless leader as you use phrase and i'm like no that can't work out well so i would like to like crash that that right left ceiling the glass ceiling and say no 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 this is our world we get to talk about it we get to make films about it we get to caucus about it we'll determine who our leaders are thank you very much when it's time to invite you into our public space we'll do so what's the thing about your movie you think the audience will be the most surprised by I think if, they, if they're if they sophisticated in their approach to Trump, I think they'll like the care I gave the story. I think they'll find it a little interesting and uh, without giving too much away. I do try and use some uh, stylized punchlines and things like a Woody Allen type thing. And I know he's a bad reference people. I mean, stylistically, like we're using the black and white and doing it as a throwback where I'm like a detective going through a world of politics, fish out of water, and just allowing... I think they're also just hearing the testimonies of others and having all the differences of opinion, which is more like the real world, I think they'll feel refreshed. They'll say, well, this guy allowed like a chorus in the film. He allowed a dialogue. He didn't preach a point of view, which is what filmmaking should do. And it's what your film did so well. And why people didn't understand it is because you were just making a film. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who? How did you get Barr and Gorka? Like, I, like you got me because... Some of the, one of the same guys helping you with imaging and branding for your film worked on Nefarious, and that's how right. the connection was made with the two of us. How did you get people like Barr and Gorka to participate? Even within even within Trump's circle, you realize that people are walking on eggshells. Now, to me, this is a worrisome sign because you would think at that point, guys, I'm kind of on the team. I might be like this far onto the right in the team, or but we're like in the control room together. We're all flying the same spaceship. But even within there, the fear to be nuanced and the fear to also publicly promote the film, to me was another indication of, wait, this is something to worry about, even if it's all on the right. Because it's not as bad as dealing with the neo-Marxist stuff and we can get into what all that craziness is, but it's still, it's still bad because it's still shutting down thought and it's becoming 
pick my guy or this conversation's over or pick my guy otherwise I can't represent you and I will cannot publicize your work so I was, I'm still feeling that loyalty and I, I don't mean people can't be loyal and I think there's a reason to be loyal to Trump that I hope comes out in the screening but I, I think that it was the loyalty first <laughs> that secret demand of like how could you dare question the leader you know and that's what made me want to do it more so so I came to you because I, I said, is there any independent thinkers who exist in the right who actually are not afraid to say I could hold two thoughts together at the same time? <laughs> that, that's what I And that's where you came out. I said, I know. I knew I knew you from the blaze. So I, I, you and I did an interview earlier and I was like, why not? What was the conversation with Seb Gorka like to get him to come on? Short of arm wrestling, I was ready to take my shirt off and like take him to the ground. <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been easier to just take my shirt off and just film this, guys, and let's just do this now. It would have been easier. Um, he's a powerful guy. He's got really strong opinions, and you have to respect his background. Mm -hmm. um, given where he's come from, you better be a tough person, and you better yep. stand for something. Yep. And he's also probably uh, proximity-wise – probably has been in some of the most intimate moments where Trump, where he's the inside guy and they're banging on the walls. So, I mean, I understand. I don't ultimately agree where he lands. I think there's still room for that critical space. But I understand, you said the zealot. I don't know if I would have said zealot, but that loyalist. Uh, you know, I'm going down with the chief. That's my job. What Soldier. about What about Barr? How did you get him to do it? Um, ran a similar thing, ran into him at a meeting. He found out I wrote a book on Patton, and he's a little bit of a military historian himself, and he loved the idea that I, we, we, we discussed with each other how using military strategy is a great metaphor for leadership, and I've written three books on, on this topic. So he liked that, and that led to a conversation. I was like, you know, I've been exploring this for a long time. Would you be willing to get on camera? With, and he said, sure, because I think at, at his point, Maybe not in exactly the way I landed, but in a slightly nuanced, different way. He also was trying to balance different points of view within one um, on one character, and I think he was finding the same problem that he got pushed out from the right, landed in the left. Didn't necessarily want to land there. I don't think he was scheming this, um, but I think he got so pushed out because he was willing to say, "No, he was wrong there. No, that's a narcissist." No, nope. he's thinking of himself, not the country, and that's not going to do well. And that's back to that loyalty first vibe that I picked up on. So I saw him at the far left of the right, <laughs> you know, within the conversation. So, all right, we're very, just, very plain spoken. We're, we're just about out of time. How can the audience outside of Iowa see this movie? So they can go to trumpsrosebud.com, and it's there for streaming, uh, available now at any time. Um, but most importantly, I'm, I'm hoping we'll. If we can give the ad where the theater is in Iowa, are you planning on doing that? If not, I could do it right now. Yeah, it's at the Palm. <clears throat> pardon me. The Palms Theater in Waukee, Iowa, is where we're doing this on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. And then uh, you and I will talk about it afterwards, too, in fact. <clears throat> so Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Palms Theater, nicest theater probably in the state of Iowa. Uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow night at the Palms Theater in Waukee, you can go pre-order tickets right now on their website from them. Palms Theater in Waukee, if you want to come and see this movie. It is extremely well done. And everybody else can go to trumpsrosebud.com. Robert? Yes. Yes. And I would just think, if I can add two to 15 <laughs> seconds, just, um, I think the films are meant to be viewed in a theater. 
they're meant to be taken in almost dreamlike. You have to ingest, you have to be given a little time. It's not like watching something, even on a nice home TV set, because I think it's ultimately communal. Yep. Uh, Frank Capra's famous quote, like, I'd rather have 500 people in the dark you know, than have a mass audience. But yep. so that 500 people in the dark, and they might not be 500 tomorrow, but, um, but whatever that number is tomorrow, I'm saying, I think will lead to special things because it'll be a safe forum to discuss things that I think a lot more people are thinking about but are not voicing in social media. Trumpsrosebud.com is where you want to go. Trumpsrosebud.com. We'll see you tomorrow, Robert. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate what you do. You bet. Same here. Brought to you by our friends over at Relief Factor. If you're struggling with chronic pain, now's the time to check out the all-natural anti-inflammatory that uh, you want to check out because likely what is causing your chronic pain is too much inflammation in your body. So this is drug-free, though it is created by physicians who can prescribe drugs, and they're so confident that it'll work, they offer it to you for the first three weeks at just $20 to see if you don't see a difference in the pain level, your soreness level, your stiffness level, in three weeks or less. Why? Because about 70% of the time you do, and you stick around for full price later on. So take them up on it. What do you got to lose for 20 bucks? ReliefFactor.com is where you want to go. Again, ReliefFactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF, 800-THE-NUMBER-4-RELIEF or relieffactor.com. And again, the website for the movie, if you want to see it, trumpsrosebud.com. That's where you can go, trumpsrosebud.com. And if you are one of our people here that lives locally in Iowa and you want to come to the screening tomorrow night, it's at the Palms Theater in Waukee, Iowa. You can get your tickets there right now. Just go to the Palms website. They got a nice restaurant too there. So you can make dinner whole date night out of it if you want to all right but uh, for the rest of you trumpsrosebud.com all right we're going to stick around and do overtime our good friend julie kelly's going to come on and yell at me for about 10 minutes that should be fun and you'll get to see it at blazetv.com slash dace for the rest of you back at it again tomorrow until then john 317 this is steve dace on the blaze radio network